if you could be promised that the most powerful being of the universe, the king of all creation, would be near you. And regardless of what happened in life, he would never leave you or forsake you. He's for you. He's holding you. And what do I need beside that? That that is my deepest, dearest desire is to know that that God is with me and for me. And even if this life is not all that I hoped it would be, he will take me into glory. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we're continuing our study with Brian Chapel, looking at Psalm 73, asking the question, why do the wicked prosper? We're reminded when we come into his courts to worship him, that God shows us that he really is a blessing in our life. Stay tuned for that message. But first, we'll talk about awe and wonder as we're joined once again in the Doctrine and Theology series with Ken Ham, talking about what the God of creation can actually do. The many voices coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. I know without a doubt that you, our listeners, are active prayers, that you consider the importance and the power of prayer in your life. And you know one of the ways that I know it? Because I believe that you're praying for song time and you're praying for me personally because I have seen God's answer to prayer in this ministry. Just the past decade, God has reminded me over and over again on only the things that he could have accomplished. In fact, that's how I came to song time to begin with. Our founder, Dr. John DeBrine, asked me that question when I came to interview with him and and I had planned to tell him no, I didn't want to take the job. And he asked me this question, what in your life is only explainable by God? It was that statement that led me down a path to start really thinking and uh, processing and contemplating what he had said. And that changed my opinion. I came to work for John and then I took over for him after he retired. And for the past 10 years, I have seen God answer prayer time and time again. Well, that leads into our subject for today because the question is raised, if if God didn't create the world in six literal days, then why are we praying to God? What power does he actually have? What awe and wonder do we have when we go to him in prayer if we have just evolved by chance? Our guest today is Ken Ham, and he's with Answers in Genesis. He's helping us understand the doctrine and theology of the God of creation. So, Ken, why is it important for us to understand creation? If God didn't create the world, then why would we turn to him when we're going through a crisis in our life in prayer? Well, yeah, there's so much you could uh, talk about uh, in in regard to that. Um, I mean, if it again, if if we're just the product of natural processes, if there's no God, then why should somebody else have the same morality I do? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't they have a different morality? Um, why can't, you know, I remember a young man come, came to me once and he said, sir, I don't believe in God. I believe um, I, I, I reject God as creator. I believe everyone has a right to do what they want to do. And I said, all right. Um, so, um, if I get enough people to agree with me and we believe types like you are dangerous, we're going to eliminate you. And he said, you can't do that. I said, why not? He said, it's not right. I said, why isn't it right? He says, it's wrong. I said, why is it wrong? He said, it's not right. <laughs> um, because, you know, he had he, he had no basis for his morality at all. It's just all subjective. Then everything becomes subjective. Then who decides uh, what anyone should believe? Then everything be, become everything falls apart. Uh, and the whole of life just 
just falls apart. It, you know, it's like the young man who came to me and said, well, I still believe we all evolve by chance, random process. And I said, if we evolve by chance, random process, is your brain evolved by chance, random process, right? Yes, sir. Well, if your brain evolved, then your logic evolved by chance, random processes. Um, son, you don't know your logic evolved the right way. You don't even know if you're asking me the right question. Uh, you know, and that's when he looked at me and said, um, what was the name of that book you recommended? <laughs> uh, because he suddenly realized, hey, if, if you don't believe in God as creator and he's the absolute authority, if you reject that, then how do you, how do you know you're even asking the right things? And, you know, when, when you even look at this world, we talk about the laws of nature, the laws of mathematics, for instance, you know, um, and, and the laws of physics and uh, the, the laws in regard to astronomy and so on. But those, where do they exist? They're not material. If, if the whole universe is just a, a, a material universe and there's no supernatural, there's no God, well, of course, you know, you have to ask, well, why is it here? Where did it come from? doesn't make any sense. Like when Bill Nye was asked by a young boy in a question, where did matter come from? He said, I know it's a great mystery. Um, but, it, it, and, and where did it come from? Why is anything here? It, it makes no sense without a creator, as the Bible says, who's infinite, who's always been there, who's outside of time, who created the natural laws, which are immaterial. Otherwise, how, how do you, without a creator God, explain um, a universe where you have immaterial laws. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm. This idea that uh, of of people having a God in their own mind, this kind of dualistic mindset. I'm talking about Christians now, not just the secular outsiders, but the Christians who have this idea that maybe God didn't create things, maybe science is, is, is right on this front. Um, what they're left with is really a God who is stripped of all power. It's a, Maybe you can explain to our listeners a little bit about what deism is, this idea that, that God is kind of limited in what he can do. Um, that that is a pretty devastating blow to the Christian's faith, is it not? Well, w- when people make up their own God, again, that's Genesis three five. You know, you can be as God. When they make up their own God, uh, the deistic God is not a personal God. Uh, is sort of like some force out there that somehow does something. Um, you know, the difference with Christianity is that. We have a, a, a God who's revealed to us in his word who he is to explain who he is um, and that he is the infinite creator God. I mean, if, if it's a deistic God, who decides what God says? Then it becomes all subjective. It's sort of based on feelings. And how do you know you can trust your own feelings if it's some impersonal force uh, out there? And how do you prove that that is true? Now, people might say, well, how do you prove that uh, the, the Christian God is true. Well, we have a book that claims to be his word. He's given us very specific details about history that we can go and check. And ultimately, the Bible does say, if you come to God believing that he is, he'll reveal himself to you. So I can't, I can't prove it to you, but it's God that opens our heart uh, with the truth and he proves it to us. But we need to come to him with, you know, without faith. It, uh, it is impossible to please God. For he comes to, to God, must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that seek him. So there's always going to be a faith aspect. And, and you know, there, there are people out there that say, but you Christians, it's just blind faith. But it's not blind faith. It's those who don't believe in the creator God of the Bible who have blind faith. Um, in fact, it's a faith that lacks credulity. The difference with the Christian faith is a faith that makes sense of what we see and actually science confirms what God's word says about 
uh, the earth and, and the universe. And, and so we have all these confirmations, uh, if you like, uh, out there, and God's word makes sense of what we see and who we are and where we came from. And, and that's the difference. Mm. One of the most compelling arguments that, that I see for the need for a young earth creation, and that's kind of the, one of the categories we use to describe this. Unfortunately, we have to have that catalog or a category to describe it because it's against other forms or, or views or arguments for creation. But in young earth creation, I think that one of the most compelling arguments is that you can't have death before the fall. You can't have a dying before sin came into the world. And if you do, it kind of... Un- flips everything upside down in the context of the gospel. You know, this is a very important issue, and it really goes back to the 1800s, because in the 1800s, there were deists Mm -hmm. and atheists um, who wanted to come up with a way of explaining everything by natural processes. I mean, in a way, deism is not really that different from atheism, uh, but they want to explain everything by natural processes. And so the idea was, the fossils didn't come about by a global flood. The Bible's not true. They were laid down millions of years before man. Now, the problem was much of the church said we could take the millions of years and fit in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, or we fit in the days of creation or whatever. And so the idea of millions of years has permeated much of the church and many of our Christian leaders. But if you believe in millions of years, um, number one, In the fossil record, not only is there a record of death, but there's diseases like cancer, abscesses, arthritis. If all that existed before God created man and after he created man, he said everything he made is very good, then God's calling all that disease and death very good. Uh, Number two is that then you're also taking man's beliefs and reinterpreting God's word, which means you're undermining the authority of Scripture. And number three then when you look at the world today with all the death, bloodshed, disease, and suffering, you're saying that's gone on for millions of years, so God's responsible for that. But if you take God's word as written in Genesis, we're responsible because we sinned against a holy God, and now we're under the judgment of death. That's why we need a saviour. And, you know, Jesus died on the cross. He died physically, and and, uh, uh, he was raised from the dead. But if you believe that if you believe that um, there was all this death and bloodshed before sin, then what does his death on the cross really mean? Uh, because there was already death and bloodshed. So, you know, the Bible says death is an enemy. It's an enemy because of our sin. And so it's important to understand that the whole foundation of the gospel, it was a perfect world. We sinned against a holy God. Death is a judgment because of our sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross to conquer death. And one day there's going to be new heavens and new earth where there'll be no more death. It'll be put back to what it was originally. In other words, a perfect world with no death or suffering. So it's really important to understand you can't, if you if you try to add millions of years into the Bible, then you've got all this death and disease before sin. You're blaming God for death instead of blaming our sin. We've been talking with Ken Ham from uh, Answers in Genesis, also the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. All of these great resources, you can find out more information by giving us a call, 508-362-7070. That's 508 
888-888-7070 or head over to our website at songtime.com. I love this theme and it's seen all throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation that we can cry out to God. We can call on the name of the Lord and we can pray to him and trust that he will do amazing things. In fact, Jesus is trying to teach us this in the Gospels, to pray that God will do the impossible because only God can do that. Do you believe it? Do you believe in a God who can create the world out of nothing, out of a word, and and do so with maturity and with all of this wonder and amazement? Do you have that awe and excitement when you come to God when you pray? That is why we need theology. We need doctrine to remind us how great and how wonderful our God really is. Well, that leads us right into our study today as we're looking at Psalm 73. What is it that changed Asaph's mind as he was complaining and, and debating with God, why do the wicked prosper? As his heart was really seeped in, in horrible negative thoughts, what is it that changed his opinion? What changed his direction? Today we'll see as we continue our study with Brian Chapel, looking at Psalm 73, as we enter into the sanctuary of God, then we understand how God actually works and what his purposes are for us. Here is Brian Chapel. Even when you ask the hard questions, God is with you and will still hold you. What would you do if I were untrue? Would you say that it was all over? God's response, I will be with you, child, and I will leave you. Never. But Lord, I'm afraid that I'm foul inside. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I will be with you, my child, and I will leave you. Never. I'm Christian, abandoned by my spouse, and wondering why I bothered to trust in Christ. But I will be with you, my child, and I will leave you never. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. (laughs) That's in the Bible. I will be with you, my child. And I will leave you never. The psalmist says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the morning or are cast into the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me. I will be with you, my child and I will leave you never. I was a beast, says the psalmist, and yet God was always with me, and his right hand held me. If that is what God is saying, we recognize it's not just a promise of security. It is a promise of guidance. It's ultimately verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me up to glory. It's it's not just security. It's It's the Father God saying, as I hold you, as you hold on to me, I will guide you through life. That there is that which I promise you as a a God whose character and care are revealed in his law, who desires a good path for you, who has shown you that his grace is greater than your sin. That same God says, I'll guide you in the right way. 
And the reason we do it, we follow his ways, is we have learned so much to trust him in a fallen, in a wicked, in a difficult world, to have a God say, I'll be with you and I will guide you through all the trial and the trouble and the difficulty and the tragedies. I'll be with you. And knowing that is actually giving us the ability to say what the psalmist says, I have nothing I desire on earth beside you. Do you see that, verse 25? Whom am I in heaven but you? But it's not just some heavenly. There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. For me, in my years of preaching, I think a verse that I have struggled with so much. How do I, how do I myself claim this, if not explain it to others? Verse 26, my flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That, that if you've got God, you've got everything. That he's sufficient, that he's the portion, he's, he's what you need. And, and I know that, that sometimes just sounds more of that churchy religiosity, but, but if you could be promised that the most powerful being of the universe, the king of all creation, would be near you, and regardless of what happened in life, he would never leave you or forsake you. That when you were beastly toward him, he would bless you. That when you walked away, he would be right in your steps. That when you let go of him, he would still hold on to you. That that, that God would be with you come, come hell or high water. He's there. He's for you. He's holding you. And, and to believe, if that's what I know, that, that that one, what do I need beside that? That 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 is my deepest, dearest desire is to know that that God is with me and for me. And, and even if this life is, is not all that I hoped it would be, he will take me into glory. And the word glory, I think, you know, in the Old Testament is, is mainly reserved for God himself. As though God is saying, I take you to myself. And, and that is an eternity that God is promising. Think about that. It is, it is this great promise of God that, that whatever is experienced here, as hard as it may be, will only be experienced here. That, that whatever trial, whatever difficulty, whatever tragedy, it will be no more in glory. This is one of my favorite psalms just because I love how honest and uh, reflective and and transparent Asaph is being about all of the things that you and I understand. We relate to this because we watch as the wicked prosper and it it really brews up in our heart anger and envy and strife, doesn't it? Uh, We become resentful. Why did God give us such a poor portion of of grace when when they get away with doing all the wrong things? I remember (laughs) saying these things when I was a little kid, when I'd watch my sisters get away with doing something wrong, and I'd get punished for something even small. I mean, it was it was frustrating. I wanted justice, but really what I was asking for, what I wanted as a child, was I wanted to be able to get away with what I was doing wrong. And in fact, I was hoping to get away with a lot more, uh, but I always seemed to get caught. Therein lies the grace of God. And this is what Asaph discovers. I love it when it says that then I went into the sanctuary. As he went into worshiping God, he went alone. He 
spent time with God alone, set apart from everything else. He got rid of the distractions. Then he saw the truth. Then he saw the reality. He saw the ends of the wicked, and he saw the grace of God in his life to confront him, to to chasten him when he sins, to, to show him the distastefulness of sin so that he would live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. We might not see God's discipline as loving and kind, as no kid thinks their parents got it all together. They, they want to they rebel and they want to be in control. But the truth is, God is loving. He is careful with his discipline. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he wants us to respond by hating sin and loving God. And the two coming together to allow us to be witnesses to the glory of what God can do to a life that is given to him. I hope that this encourages you. It certainly has encouraged me today, and I hope that you'll share that with somebody else. If you've been blessed, be a blessing to others. And you can also be a blessing to us here at Songtime. We're a ministry that is 100% supported by you, our listeners. And if you have been encouraged and you want to hear this content on a daily basis, then you need to give back. Support the ministry with your gifts and your donations by writing to Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study here in Psalm 73 as we ask the question, why do the wicked prosper and answer it by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We worship a God of great grace and wonderful favor who is using our lives to reach with the testimony of the gospel those who desperately need it in a world full of unfairness. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. <laughs>